Speaking of lists, I want you to look at this and just think for a moment about what these people have in common. Several liars, two adulterers, someone who was sexually immoral, someone who did not believe God's promises, etc. You can see the list. A cheat, a thief who committed fraud, someone who openly fought with God, murderers, those complained against God. There's a prostitute on there, a bigamist, a traitor. What do these people have in common? I'm not looking for you to shout it out or anything. I just want you to think about that for a moment. And then I want you to look at this list. The most humble man who ever lived. God's chosen one to lead the people and bring God's law. The father of faith. Israel's greatest king and the ancestor of Jesus the Messiah. Ones through whom God's promises were brought and fulfilled. Numerous protectors and saviors of Israel, ones who are specially chosen as judges over Israel, a man after God's own heart. Now, the fact is, there are probably several things that you can think of that would unite these together. But I want to draw attention to a couple of things this morning in terms of of identifying exactly what it is that they have in common. Here's the first list again. And here's the second list. And the first thing I want to say is that what they have in common is that it's the same list. Exactly, in fact, the same list, the same people. I got this list of people from the same place that I got this list of people, and they are the same people. That's the first thing that they have in common that I find quite interesting. But then the second thing that they have in common that is perhaps even more amazing is that every single one of them from this list and from this list who are the same are all listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as the great people of faith. Every single one of them is commended as being faithful to God. Can you imagine? You thought that maybe your sin was enough to put you outside of God's grace. And if there's anything that should give us hope this morning, it's that these people, who are also these people, are in reality the faithful ones of God. Now notice I didn't say they're sinless. I just said that they're faithful. And they are commended specifically by God as being the incredible people of faith. And so this morning, we're going to do four things. We're going to talk about the definition of faith. We're going to talk about its importance. We're going to talk about two of its best characteristics. We're talking about uh, why you are actually better off than those who are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Those are some things we're going to do uh, in just a moment.
we sometimes hear about people talking about, uh, they'll say something about blind faith. And they'll say to us Christians, ah, you've just got blind faith. You're just, you're trusting something that isn't even there. Well, here was blindfolded faith. But was it blind faith? Was there absolutely nothing there to guide this person despite the fact that he had a blindfold on? No, of course not. And, And my sense is that it's very similar to the way in which we operate. Because I cannot see all the things that are about to happen. I don't know all the things that God is about to do. But I wouldn't call my faith in him blind faith. Because God is, in fact, there. And he leads me. And I trust him. And I follow him. And because I do, I'm able to negotiate the obstacles of life, the stairs, if you will, because he's there to guide. And when I listen and I'm careful to follow, I'm okay. If for a moment I step by myself, I could be in trouble. Well, Hebrews talks an awful lot about faith. And here was the situation again. People faithful to Jesus are now looking to give up their faith. They're thinking that they're maybe going to go back to Judaism and to no longer follow Messiah like they were. And the Hebrews writer, more than anything else, wants them to stay faithful to Jesus. So he calls them to that. And in this chapter, he he calls them in a powerful way to stay faithful to Jesus, faithful the way that others in the past have been faithful to God. He starts in verse 1, and I want you to look at verse 1, in talking about a definition of faith. And I actually love the way that the King James Version puts this in contrast to the NIV. A lot of you will have an NIV. Some of you might have a King James Version. The NIV is going to talk about how faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. But when we talk about being sure of something or certain of something, where is assurance and where is certainty? Where does that happen? Well, surety and certainness happens within my heart, happens within my mind. That's in me. I'm confident. I'm faithful. I'm sure. I'm certain. I actually love the way that the King James puts this, and I actually think it's a bit truer to the original language at this instance. Because the King James says that faith is the substance of what is hoped for. The substance of what is hoped for. That's different than something that happens inside of me. Where is the reality or the substance of something that is hoped for? That happens not inside of me, but it happens for real out there. And what the King James says when it says the substance of things hoped for, it really means the existence of things hoped for. Now, let me ask you, if you just hope for something, is it there or is it not there yet? It's not there. It can't be there because I'm still hoping for it. But despite the fact that I hope for it, Scripture says in that first verse that it's the substance or the existence of something hoped for. In other words, and this is what the NIV does with it, and I think this is right. It is as if it is in fact there. The substance or the reality of it is so real, 
so much already a substance to me that despite the fact that I'm still hoping for it, it's not really there. It is there as far as I'm concerned. It is that real to me. That verse goes on, especially in the King James Version, and says it's the evidence of things not seen. That's interesting. No court would allow evidence that isn't really there. But this says that it's not seen. What does it mean when it says it's evidence not seen? It means that even though it's not here yet, it's as if it is. It's as if I can see it. And so that's why the NIV says, well, this is like certainty. And so the NIV says we are sure and we are certain of the things that are hoped for and the things that we can't see because it's as if these things are really there when they're not. And that's how the Bible defines faith. And so someone is following someone else, giving them instructions, and they can't see a thing. They don't know that there's steps there. But when John says, put your foot up and step on that step, his brother listens and does what he says. Because he trusts that the thing that he cannot see is in fact there and real. And he acts on the understanding that it's real when he can't even see it. Now I've got a video that hopefully illustrates this so perfectly. And before Keith plays it, let me just say, I want you to watch the moment. There's, there's someone here, you'll see this, you'll recognize this, it's famous. He's standing on the edge and just before he takes the step of faith watch what he does with himself something happens to him just before he steps okay keith Okay, you can get rid of that.
So did you see it? Did you see what happened just before he took the step? Did you hear what Sean Connery said? He said, you have to believe, boy. You have to believe. And in that moment, just for a second, his breathing relaxed. He kind of patted his chest, took that deep breath, and went. And I think that at that moment, what we saw was belief. I'm not saying belief in Jesus at this point. I'm not sure that's the point of the movie. But belief was really there enough for him to step out in faith. And what happens when he steps out in faith? That thing that he now is convinced has the substance of what is hoped for and the evidence of what is not seen becomes real. It was real to him before he stepped or he would not have stepped. And then when he steps, indeed, it's verified just how real it is. And so the definition of faith is that oftentimes we need to lean on God when we cannot see, believing so strongly that the very thing in which we believe is in fact there and real even when we can't see it. The second thing I want us to see beyond the definition is the importance of faith. And I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Who can tell me what happened with Enoch? Do you remember Enoch? Anybody? You know the story of Enoch? What happens with Enoch? Something very unique happens with Enoch. He's, yeah, he's taken up into heaven without dying. He's the only one that I know of who didn't die at all. Maybe Elijah. Elijah and Enoch. The Bible says in verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken up from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. How is it that Enoch pleases God so much that he's taken up into heaven without dying? Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's the key. That's why he's taken up. Because he has faith in God. And this is absolutely so relevant for today. In our world, if there's anything that challenges especially our young people, it's the question of whether or not there's a God. It's a question of whether or not he even exists. And there's a huge segment of our society, of course, who says that he doesn't exist. And so we as people who claim to be his followers, must be those people who say, I cannot see it, but I hope in it so much that the reality for me is there. We can't please God, it says, without it. And so it's absolutely crucial. It is the important thing in our lives to have faith in God, faith in his existence, faith in his love 
for us. And I'm afraid that sometimes even those of us who claim Christ don't really have faith in what it is that he says he's done for us. And so how many of us continue to wallow in our guilt despite the fact that he says that he forgave our sins? How many of us If I ask you the question, are you absolutely confident and do you know that you're saved? How many of us have that little nagging bit of doubt? And all the while, Scripture is saying, you are his child and you have salvation. This is why he died, was for you. And it is needed by us that we would have the kind of faith in God that allows us to trust even when we can't see. It's as if the substance and the evidence are there. Two of of faith's best characteristics. First of all, it's the source for our righteousness. Look at verse 7 in your text. A moment ago, I just said, that some of us wallow in our guilt and we can't get over our sins because we're not confident that maybe God is going to actually forgive us? Well, if you want to live better, if you want to transcend how you live now, what's the key? What does verse 7 say? That righteousness comes how? Through faith. We believe in Him and are made righteous. And so if you want to live the kind of life that God wants you to live, have faith first. We so often turn this around as we're thinking about God and thinking that in order for him to accept us, in order for us to be in relationship with him, in order for us to have this faithful relationship with God, we have to be living right first. But the text specifically says that righteousness comes out of faith. And so faith is there and changes our lives and we become different people because of faith. And then look at verses 13 through 16. It's fascinating the kind of faith that was in these people that are in Hebrews chapter 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died, it says, which is wonderful. They remained faithful to the end. And and this is so much what this letter is about, is people being faithful to God even to the end. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them. How? From a distance, it says. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And the point is is that one of the major characteristics of faith in Scripture and certainly in the book of Hebrews is that it is entirely forward-looking. We don't look back. We look forward to what it is that God is doing and has certainly brought about in our lives in the past, but what He's going to do in our lives and in our futures. We talked in class today about how so often our mindset and our eyes get focused on things here. It becomes our goal to live well here. But the people in Hebrews clearly had another goal in mind. Living for that which they could not see, but which they hoped for, and which was to them so real that it took on the substance 
And it took on the evidence of being real through their faith, even though they couldn't see it. And that's how they lived, looking forward to that kind of reward. And then finally, this is amazing to me. Here's this great description in Hebrews 11 of these people and their lives and their faith and of what faith is. It's all described in such wonderful description. But why is it that we are actually better off than all of those in the roll call of faith? And again, is that how we think of ourselves? So often wallowing in our own guilt and not acknowledging what it is that God has done for us and in us and is doing and is going to do. But we actually are better off than Abraham. We're better off than Isaac and Jacob and David. We're better off than Moses. We're better off than all of them. And if you think to yourself, Kelly, that can't be true, then just look at verse 39. These were all commended for their faith. And and we want to be that. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And the point is is that it's only in the fulfilling promises that come with Jesus that faith is actually fulfilled, that it comes to some kind of fruition. And we possess something that goes way beyond what they possessed. They had incredible faith for things they could not see. And then we get to see it. We get to share in it. And all the beauty of Christ and our faith in Christ and the blessings of the Spirit being in our lives, which they knew nothing of, all of these things become realities for us that were not in any way realities for them. And so the blessing of faith continues to shower down upon us as long as we continue, as the Hebrew writer wants the readers of his letter to do, to be faithful and believing who Jesus is, faithful to the end, not giving up this trust that they have in Christ. The largest challenge, I think, in our world today is for people to waver with regards to who Jesus is in their lives. Our world constantly is blasting us with the message that there is no God or that there are a hundred ways to God. That Jesus is not some unique, exclusive way, but there's lots of ways. And the Hebrew writer is very clear that that's not the case. And he wants his people to remain absolutely committed as people who have a substance of things hoped for and an evidence, a reality of things that they can't even see. He wants that to be what drives them and maintains them in their lives of faithfulness to God. And we need to be people like that. Let's pray. Lord, through the Hebrew writer, you have defined for us faith. And you've shown us how important faith is. You've given us a picture of the the major elements that are part of what faith is. 
And you have shown us, God, how we as Christians who have Jesus possess the fulfillment of this faith. And so for all of that today, we thank you. We praise you for allowing us to be faithful people. But then, Father, I pray today especially for those who waver. It's the easiest thing in the world, God, for us all to ask the question, are you really there? Do you really exist? There's there's no one in the room today who hasn't asked that question. But despite the question, God, we, we still put ourselves in your hands. We trust you completely. And we continue to live by faith. Father, I believe, help me in any way I don't to believe in you always. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.